I would invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We'll be looking tonight in our study through the Ten Commandments at the Eighth Commandment. Before reading from God's Word, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Our Father, we acknowledge that You are the wonderful Creator of all, creating in Your most infinite power and wisdom all that is simply by Your spoken Word. We acknowledge that Your providence is such a wonderful comfort to us. Uh, We can reflect even upon the way in which You have guided and directed each one of our steps to bring us here this night to hear from Your Word. Whether we need correction or whether we need comfort, whether we need a reminder of the wonderful truth and promises of the gospel, we thank You uh, that the Spirit of truth knows all and ministers to each one of us, um, taking that eternal Word in all of its authority and sufficiency and impressing it upon the hearts of all who are here. Uh, What wonder and amazement. Um, May that be our joy each evening uh, on these Sundays as we gather on these Lord's Days to give our worship and attention to You. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together, if you will, for the reading of God's Word. We'll look at verses 1 and 2 before reading from verse 14. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verse 15, you shall not steal. The word of our God, you may be seated. Now, as we continue our study through the Ten Commandments, Let's remember that the context of the law is that these are commands given to a people who have already been saved from captivity, a redeemed people saved by the Lord's sovereign grace. Because of the salvation that they have received, they are therefore to walk in obedience. And so this is why in our study of the Ten Commandments, we keep referring back to verses 1 and 2 so that we would keep in mind the context with which the law of the Lord is given. Salvation does not depend upon our keeping of the law. Our redemption is not contingent upon our own obedience, but rather the one who is saved by sovereign grace now longs to walk in obedience according to the law of the Lord, treasuring His law within our hearts. Now, while the Eighth Commandment forbids us from stealing, we'll see that the charge before us is towards contentment and generosity. There was a survey that was conducted not that long ago in which almost 90% of adults responding claimed that they have never stolen anything from another person. I think what that survey reveals is either we don't have a very accurate understanding upon what stealing is, Either that, or we don't think stealing is that big of a deal. Even think of the context here of the law of the Lord. We're coming off the real big ones, murder and adultery, the sixth and seventh commandment. And so by the time we get to the eighth commandment, well, stealing, well, that doesn't seem like that significant of a violation of the law compared to the others. Most people think of themselves as very honest, never having taken something that does not belong to them. But as we've seen over the last few weeks, the law of the Lord does not merely address the behavior of one's life, but it is meant to expose the heart, to be driven deep down within the heart of the believer in Christ. 
And what this particular commandment does is reveal the fact that each one of us are thieves, stealing glory from the Lord for ourselves, and therefore in need of the redeeming work of Christ. Now, before we consider what this eighth commandment requires of us, let's think firstly tonight about what this command presupposes, what is presumed behind this command. And I think there are at least three things presumed in the eighth commandment. First is the right to private property. Now, some will twist the teaching of the Bible to make it seem as though the Word of God advocates some form of ancient socialism. They may look at the early church in the book of Acts and say, look at how those in the first century church shared everything that they had. That's not quite accurate to presume that life in the early church was so blissful that it was filled with a communal type living. Think of Deuteronomy 27, for example. Cursed is everyone who moves his neighbor's landmark. The book of Proverbs talks extensively about wealth, money, and inheritance. The law of Moses gives instruction on restitution if someone's possession or property is damaged. And of course, we are not to covet that which belongs to another. There would be no such thing as coveting if everything belonged to everyone. Even in the book of Acts, we read about those who give, but it's not sort of a pooling together of all of their resources for others to just take as they like from a giant pot, as it were. In Acts chapter 5, for example, Ananias and Sapphira were condemned to death, not because they withheld something, they were entitled to do that. It was their property, but because they sold something and then led the church leaders to believe that they were giving all of the proceeds of what they had sold in gifts to the church. And in doing so, they lied against the Holy Spirit and were condemned. The point here is that we have a right to private property. And though we have a right to private property, we are only stewards of that which God has entrusted to us. Ultimately, everything belongs to the Lord God. We are merely caretakers of that which the Lord has entrusted to us. And so just as it would be wrong for us to think, what yours is mine, and I'll go ahead and take it, it would be wrong for us to think, what's mine is mine, and I will hold on to it. But rather, what's mine is the Lord's. The second thing that's presumed of the Eighth Commandment is the inherent goodness or responsibility of labor. The one who steals or the one who is tempted to steal is oftentimes the one who does not have enough to meet his own obligations or presumes he doesn't have enough to meet his obligations. Certainly, he could be living beyond his means, but it could be that he disdains hard work and labor, tries to get away from working or do as little as possible to just sort of get by. And so developing a good work ethic so that you're able to provide for your needs and for the needs of your family is an important thing for us to cultivate in our own lives and in the lives of our children. And so we are to work joyfully and we are to work faithfully at whatever task the Lord has given to us to labor. Now we're getting towards the end of the month of July, which means for those of you who are students, yes, another school year is just around the corner. And it's important for you to think as you start that new school year that though you are still young, that is your job. That is what you are to labor in. 
in your studies to the glory of God. And you have a calling to see the goodness of God in the work that you do in your education. And so when you grumble and complain about your teachers or the classes that you have to take, or if you do just enough to get by, you know how you can do just enough to keep your parents off your back and get the grade that you need to pass. You're stealing because you're not honoring the Lord with the use of your time and with your abilities that He's given to you. And so we're to see all labor as a good thing from the hand of our God. And a third presupposition behind the Eighth Commandment is the providence of the Lord. Do we trust that what the Lord has given to us is all that is needed for life and godliness? Now, when we get to the Tenth Commandment in a few weeks, we'll get to this more when we think about coveting. But even before theft goes into motion, it starts with envy of the heart, distrust with what the Lord has given to us. When we're jealous of the possessions of another, we're basically saying that the Lord's providence is too good to someone else, that I, in fact, am more deserving. And so the one who steals acts as though the Lord is stingy, doesn't believe that what God has given is sufficient. To steal is to call into question the goodness of God, His love and His ability to give us the things that we need. So these are just a few things to consider as we think here of sort of foundational principles behind the Eighth Commandment. But let's go on secondly to consider what is forbidden. What is forbidden in the Eighth Commandment? Well, the most obvious is stealing, is outright thievery, taking that which doesn't belong to you. There wasn't any statistical data as to why 90% of adults confessed or thought that they had never stolen from another person. And so it can only speculate, but I think it's because when they think of this particular commandment, or any commandment for that matter, they tend to think of those extreme examples. And so they probably believe, well, I haven't broken this commandment because I've never broken into someone's house and stolen something. I've never embezzled something from my company. I've never robbed a bank. We hear that same type of reasoning, don't we, when we talk about the Sixth Commandment. I've never killed anybody, and so I'm not guilty of violating that either. We tend to think of those extreme examples in order to alleviate our own conscience. Now, certainly theft is part of what is forbidden in this particular commandment, taking that which does not belong to you. We might think of Achan in Joshua chapter 7, who stole some of the plunder from Jericho, though they were told explicitly to destroy everything from the city. He kept some for himself and brought destruction upon his entire family. Or we might think of wicked king Ahab and Jezebel who plot to steal Naboth's vineyard, and the Lord brings judgment upon his household because of that evil act. But of course, there are many other ways in which we can steal from others, many other things as we think for a few moments here that are forbidden in this particular commandment. Maybe we steal from the governments by not reporting all of our income. We reason to ourselves, well, they steal from me anyway. They're going to squander what is taken in my taxes. And so we try to justify such thievery. Maybe we steal from our employers. We steal when we're not being accurate on our time clocks. 
when we take excessively long lunch breaks, when we call in sick, when we just want a personal day. You help yourself to the office supplies. You just need an, a, an orange highlighter, and I don't want to buy the entire pack of 12. You waste time surfing the internet or catching up on personal emails. Some estimates reveal that employee theft amounts to over $200 billion a year. But even more, we don't do what's expected of us at our work. We know what our job responsibilities are, but we make excuses for those things that are more unpleasant. When we grumble and complain about the job that the Lord has given to us, again, we're disregarding the providence of the Lord, questioning where He has put us in life and His provision for us. And so we're robbing ourselves of the joy that we should have in our vocation as we seek to honor the Lord and glorify Him in the things that we do, being faithful employees. And of course, if you're an employer, you can also be guilty of stealing from your employees, be putting your employees on salary so that you can get more work hours out of them without having to pay them extra, hiding costs or other deceptive business practices, using business expense accounts for personal consumption. Other forms of stealing might be borrowing when you have no intent to repay, whether from a friend or from a financial institution, defaulting on credit card balances, or when the housing market crashes, feeling justified in foreclosing on your home, convincing yourself that, well, you owe more now on the home than it's really worth. And although you signed legal documents binding yourself to a mortgage, you convince yourself that it's the bank's fault for being too loose in their lending practices. Deception is another form of stealing, taking advantage of the poor who can't defend themselves or the elderly who are easily convinced because of their general kindness. Think of how we might sell something online without full disclosure as to its true condition. This is one of my personal pet peeves is when I buy a, a used book online and it's labeled as like new, and yet it comes with all kinds of markings on it. But we too are guilty of such deception in our own lives, passing something off or what it isn't or overcharging someone for a service even creating a desire for something that's not needed. If you're in sales, I imagine this could be a particular type of temptation for you. Are we sowing seeds of discontentment in the life of another in order to make that sale? Think of those infomercials that you watch for some product that addresses a huge problem in life that you never knew existed. But now that you're aware of the problem, you've got to have the solution. Or our catechism talks about usury, which is charging exorbitant interest rates or making unreasonable demands of someone that you might loan something to. We might think of get-rich-quick schemes. There are numerous ways in which we might squander what the Lord has given to us, looking to get rich without putting in the hard work, gambling at casinos, buying lottery tickets, sports betting online recklessly playing the stock market, or being obsessed with watching our investment portfolio or our stocks and more. There are so many ways as a nation that we waste money through gambling, and it's nuanced in all these different categories of 
casinos and lotteries and sports betting that I couldn't even find online how much money we spend as a nation each year in the billions upon billions of dollars. But in the state of Florida alone, we spend around $9 billion a year on our state lottery, which is almost $400 per resident. The amount of money wager trying to get instant wealth is truly staggering. But it's not just a waste of money as we foolishly squander what the Lord has entrusted to us. But it's a waste of time because it consumes our thoughts and our conversations with others. We can be tempted to think of some sort of get-rich-quick scheme as a substitute for really devoting ourselves to hard labor and being faithful day after day and year after year at the vocation that the Lord has called us to. We might think of ways in which we may steal from our neighbor. The Amazon package that was accidentally delivered to your front porch is not yours. The neighborhood kid who left his soccer ball on your light on your front lawn all night doesn't mean that it belongs to your son now. The homeless abrockle writes that we steal when we keep something of value without making efforts to find the owner. Stealing might be taking advantage of the goodwill of others, taking something that belongs to another without asking. Maybe it's rifling through the drawer of your sibling to borrow his or her shirt because it looks better on you. Maybe it's helping yourself to your friend's pantry or refrigerator without asking. With your behavior along those lines, you're acting as though those things are yours while showing very little respect toward the property of another, or not caring for something that you borrow from another, returning something that you borrowed damaged, telling yourself, well, it was used anyway and was about to break, a failure to be conscientious about contributing your fair share. I can remember as a college student convincing myself that I didn't need to bring anything to the monthly covered dish dinner at church. I'm a single college guy. No one expects anything from me anyway. Even though I was perfectly capable of planning ahead and contributing like everyone else, but it reflected a selfish and entitled heart in which I was only thinking of myself and not considering the way in which I was a burden upon others. It seems as though there are countless ways that we can steal, doesn't it? Our society recognizes this. Even within the civil courts, think of all of the different categories for stealing that understand legally that there are all varying degrees of motivation and culpability. There's grand theft, but then there's petty theft. There's larceny and embezzlement. There's burglary, extortion. There's fraud and shoplifting. There's cheating and vandalism and piracy and plagiarism and more. Calvin points out that stealing is not only taking possession of what isn't yours, but it's failure to protect that which God has given to another. And I think what all of this teaches us is that behind it all, we are more interested in our own well-being than we are in the well-being of another. Thinking of our own desires before we consider the needs, rights, prerogatives of another. But let's think for a few moments, thirdly, of what is commanded, what is required of us in the Eighth Commandment. 
Well, I think a good place for us to start as we think about the requirements of the Eighth Commandment is to consider Ephesians 4, 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And so when is a thief no longer a thief? Well, he's no longer a thief when he is working honestly and diligently at his own labor and then actually sharing with others in need, giving out of the abundance of what the Lord has given to him. And so the way in which we think of labor and the way in which we think of possessions completely changes because of the kindness that the living God has shown to us and the heavenly inheritance that awaits us in Christ Jesus, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. You acknowledge that all you have is from the hand of the Lord, and so you want to honor and glorify Him with the possessions that He has entrusted to you. Listen to Psalm chapter 50. Just a few verses here from verses 10 through 12. The psalmist writes, For every beast of the forest is mine, says the Lord, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all, the, that, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. So since everything in all of creation belongs to the Lord God, We are to be faithful stewards, again, of what the Lord has entrusted to us. And so whether we're talking about money and material possessions, holding such things loosely, while at the same time not being wasteful or foolish, or whether we're talking about the time that the Lord has given to us upon this earth, we know that our days are numbered. We know that time is precious. And the Lord is the one who has granted to us our days of life. And so are we making the most of every opportunity that God has given to us? And in all of this, we ought to be seeking to guard the heart against self-indulgence, but be willing to help when needs arise in the life of another, serving as we have opportunity. And as we give to the Lord, that helps us guard the heart against trusting in our own wealth so that we're not controlled by our money or possessions. Pastor Kent Hughes writes, perpetual generosity guards the heart against the temptation towards deification of money. Now, certainly there ought to be wisdom as you think about planning for your future so that you are not a burden to others, but you are to seek to guard the heart in which we are tempted to presume that the accumulation of wealth or a sizable retirement portfolio will be the thing that will provide the comfort and stability that's needed at that latter stage of life. We might think of our own 401ks over the last month or so. What a great opportunity for the Lord to reveal the way in which we might be trusting in those retirement plans and helping us to guard our hearts. And so this commandment charges us, you see, to give to the Lord your wholehearted service, humbling yourself and using your gifts, talents, abilities, all for the glory of God, 
not hoarding whether possessions or hoarding your time as though that were something that belongs to you either. And this commandment also calls us to love our neighbor. Are we quick to think about the needs of others around us? And are we looking for opportunities to serve and honor them? Or do we make decisions in life only thinking about our own desires, our own needs, and how we can gratify such things in our own lives? Are we seeking to guard the wealth of our neighbor by not taking advantage of their generosity? Or do we presume upon their kindness? Are we respecting others by cultivating a heart of humility, thinking of the needs of others before our own? And at the heart of this commandment, as we started with this evening, is contentment. Hebrews 13.5 reads, Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord God is with you, and you have pardon of all of your sins if your rest is in Christ alone for salvation. And no one can take you from the hand of your heavenly Father. Nothing in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, your Lord. And so it is the reality of our eternal home. And it is peace with the living God that serves to guard our hearts against loving the things of this world. Do we trust in the Lord's provision? Even if we seem to have less than another... Do we see the goodness of God to give us that which we need? We pray every Lord's Day, the Lord's Prayer, and perhaps in our own prayer life throughout the week, give us this day our daily bread. And certainly the Lord does just that. Are we growing in contentment, resting in the reality of the Lord's daily provision? Or do we feel entitled to more than what the Lord has given Do we believe that we are more deserving of another and therefore justified in envy and even in theft? Or do we crave wealth and presume that if we just had a little bit more, that's what would bring contentment? But the Scriptures are clear. 1 Timothy chapter 6, do not be haughty or set your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but upon God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Be rich in good works, generous and ready to share. Or think of the words of our Savior from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's really the key, isn't it? How can we learn to be content? How can we guard our hearts against the lust for the treasures of this world? How can we keep from merely living for our own selfish desires? Well, it's by treasuring Jesus Himself, isn't it? It's recognizing that in the work of Christ, He is the one who has fulfilled this command. As we think about all that the law requires of of us, I think there are two things that can bring to us great comfort. One is to dwell upon all of the ways that Christ Jesus 
fulfilled the law to its full extent, and then covers us with those righteous robes of His perfect obedience, while also dwelling upon the fact that He took the condemnation of the law upon Himself and was treated as a lawbreaker, thus removing the wrath of God that we justly deserved. And so think of how we can apply that principle then to the Eighth Commandment. Jesus trusted in His heavenly Father for the provision of all that He needed. He never envied that which He did not have. He was never discontent with His circumstances or lack of possessions. Jesus owned nothing but the clothes on His back and yet had all that He needed to fulfill the will of His Father in heaven. He served those who had needs, and He loved those who were weak, and He cared for those who were lacking. And though He, as the incarnate Son of God, owns all of creation, He took the form of a servant and never made demands of another, though He had the right to do so. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, that you through His poverty might become rich. The poverty of Christ fills His entire earthly ministry and His work of humiliation, a work of humiliation that took Him all the way to the cross. And as our Lord was condemned to death, He was numbered among robbers thieves, for that is the condemnation that we deserved, for we are glory stealers seeking to rob from the glory of God for ourselves. Martin Luther wrote, Christ is innocent so far as His own person is concerned, therefore He should not have been hanged from the tree. But because according to the law every thief should have been hanged, therefore Christ Himself should have been hanged, for he bore the person of a sinner and a thief, and not of one, but of all sinners and thieves. For we are sinners and thieves, and therefore we are worthy of death and eternal damnation. But Christ took all our sins upon himself, and for them he died on the cross. Therefore it was appropriate for him to become a thief and to be numbered among the thieves. Isaiah fifty-three twelve. And we see the wonderful power of the gospel to save the most vile and wicked, even there at the cross. For it was the thief on the cross next to Jesus who was the first to publicly proclaim Christ and find salvation. And there is this stark contrast between the two thieves on either side of Jesus, which shows us a great deal about the condition of our own hearts. Are we like the angry and defensive thief that even while he was dying upon the cross, getting what he deserved, he was full of self-justification, mocking the Savior with no care about his own sin and the great need that he had before God? Or are we like the repentant thief who fears God and who knows that he really deserves such condemnation while he cries out, to the Lord of glory for mercy. Remember me in your kingdom. 
And the response of Jesus to the repentant man is of wonderful comfort. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And that is paradise, to be with Jesus, to be in the presence of our risen and reigning Savior, declared righteous with no condemnation, free from the law of sin and death, and now enabled by that grace to live no longer for ourselves in a spirit of selfishness, hostile to God, but in a spirit of freedom in which we can cry out to Him as our Father and know that our heavenly home is awaiting us, a place full of riches, a place of abundance, a place of an inheritance that will never end. This is our hope, and this is our wonderful promise from the Word of God. May the Lord be pleased to take the truth of His Word and to write it upon the hearts of those who are His.